0: run me through your morning this morning before stuff got crazy.
1: I woke up, had a shower, put on some essential oils because the doc gave me those oils for the scars. I took my time, brushed my teeth, combed my hair, went had had melons and fucking yogurt and sat around just taking in the beautiful morning air thinking I was going to be... At home, one o'clock, chilling with my beautiful wife, my family. Said a lengthy goodbye to the bus driver. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Said good night actually. Then <laughs> <laughs> said goodbye, said goodnight, remember? <laughs> and then
0: we took off. Yeah. We cruised until we hit the first traffic jam.
1: And then what happened? Oh so we're starting this. This is we're in it now. Yeah, we're, in it. we're in it now. Um and shit, the fan, man. Uh, This, like, what happened totally encapsulates everything about the Vuelta, everything about Spain. We just spent the last three weeks being completely babied, having everything done for us, having this diffusion of responsibility because there's so many people around us that were just making decisions for us. And we looked at each other last night and said, yeah, 45 is a good time to leave. 8.45 is a good time to leave in the morning to get to our train, which leaves at 9.30, because it's only like a 15, 20-minute taxi ride. An assumption. <laughs> and an assumption made of ass of you and me, buddy, because we, we got a, on, that, on that taxi, looked at Google Maps, and it said 30 minutes, and it was 9.05. And... And then we spent the next 25, 20, 25 minutes stressing like no other. It was actually an emotional roller coaster.
0: At moments we, were, were, we weren't going to make it. So we were just like down in the pits, got caught in traffic. I was like, ah, it's it, it's over. Then there were, there were glimmers of hope. We'd get a run, our taxi driver would run a red light. Next thing you know, you'd see that little seventeen minutes drop down to thirteen. <laughs> we're in.
1: We're in with a chance. <laughs> but it was it totally encaps, like encapsulated everything about the Vuelta, everything about Spain. Because not only were we not only was it a grand tour experience from the sense that we were totally dependent on other people and not paying attention, but also once we were in a rush it was the worst place to be because we were on Spain time and everyone's going at Spain pace and a dump truck took up a dumpster, like took up a big dumpster while we were trying to get through and blocked us and we spent three minutes just sitting there and watched as 13 went to 17 on the Google maps, tried to figure if we had 2K left in order to, like if, if we could make a run at, at a 2K, this was your brilliant idea. Yeah. Being an ex-runner, let's run with the cases. I was I was ready to go. I was ready to go for the run. And in the end, we made it. And it was an enjoy probably up
0: there with one of my best celebrations of the of the month. Not the best. We got on that train and it was just a joyous hug of like we made we made it. But we made the situation that we should have already been. So I don't, why was it so joyful? We should have already been here. Yeah. We didn't succeed in
1: anything. We just... so, and this is what I said to you earlier. That it was almost worth it just because had we shown up, like left at an appropriate moment and been relaxed, we would have gotten on the train and not hugged. And I would have sat down and not felt this amazing come down as the train departed only a minute or so after we had we'd just got on. It was such a high.
0: the scene here, um, not going to be great volume or it could be good volume but a bit of background noise here. We're on the train on our way back from Madrid, the voilter is over, I'm sitting here with Mike Woods and we're going to get this mailbag done today so some questions have been sent in. There's a few things we want to talk about too. Um, we're sitting back here in first class, living the dream. Living the dream. Um, it's a pretty blissful moment, I have to admit. I love being on the train. The world is in the legs. Good times ahead. We're recording a pod, so the first thing I want to talk to you about, though, before we get into the the, the questions, is we got to go back to the stage win because personally, for me, that was if not one of best moments of this year's welter and I had nothing to do with it you were in the break early from the day and then I was dropped and I got to hear it on the radio and it was just I connected with it so much and I felt it and it's been one of the victories that I've had one of the most biggest connections to weirdly because I it wasn't like a lead out or something I don't know I just I really felt that day so what I want to talk to you about in that was just run me through the run me through the day quickly, and then let's get into that last kilometer.
1: By the way, I disagree that you had nothing to do with it. <laughs> uh, no, you've been you're an exceptional team captain at this race. I, uh, I have a lot of fun racing with you, man. It's great. Thanks. And it like it makes a difference in my performance. I don't operate great when I'm not having a good time. And when I'm having a good time, I, I, I race a lot better. When I'm having fun, I'm just more relaxed. And you really create a great atmosphere for that. One of the coolest parts about that day was actually coming off, uh, getting on the bus, catching up to you guys, giving you a big hug, man. Yeah, it was good. It was nice. I'm glad you got back on the bus that day. Yeah. But to take you through the day, um, it started off awesome. That was one of the, my favorite starts to a race because we woke up uh, in Bilbao had, I had a coffee out on, uh, on the patio right by this, uh, tributary river that goes into the ocean. And there's this really cool bridge that was designed by Eiffel from what I was, I'm told that had these cables that connected, uh, kind of like, uh, a giant gondola. Uh, and we, uh, What's that bridge there. called? Do you know what the style of bridge was? It's only like about, I've never seen anything yeah, like five that. Five or six in the world, I heard. Yeah, it seems highly inefficient. Yeah. It's cool. Super cool. But actually, I would never, as an urban planner, be like, this is a good idea. This is the bridge I want to build. This is going to keep the, run- the city running. It's actually one of the slowest... Forms of transportation, but anyways, we got on this thing in order to get across the river, and then drove 2K to the start. No other teams did it either. No other teams did it. We actually even paid, which it was 40 cents to cross. Uh, got some great photos from it, and um, then on the bus, Wanma uh, gave me the green light to go for the break. Let's say, our sports director. Yeah, and uh, I. Juanma wanted me with Rigo quite a bit this this race. And the opportunities he did give me, um, I ended up in breaks that didn't go to the line. And so I really felt like this was one of my last chances to, to, to have the break actually go to the line. And the way my form was coming, I came into the race uh, with pretty low expectations just because it came off a run of antibiotics. Uh, came off with... Uh, uh, not just not not going great I thought um, maybe I'll just build form for world championships and anything else would be gravy and then on that day I just felt really good it's rare when I start a bike race where I actually think I actually can win today and I started did you? yeah I started and I talked to Ellie on the phone I was like I think I can win today it's also the, the Basque Country vibe like I love racing there uh, I've always had good races in the Basque Country the terrain really suits me and the just and I actually draw a lot of inspiration from the fans. They just they're inspiring, aren't they? They're the best. Yeah. Like we went through, it, not even for the finish. We went through several towns. Once I, I got I managed to get the break. We were going through several towns, and it was deafening how many people, were, like not just intermediate points in the race, not near the end, huge crowds, and uh, let alone on the final climb. Yeah. And normally for me. I have focus issues, and um, when I'm riding on a flat road that's super wide, and I have 50k to deal with that, I sit there and I start doing mental downward spirals of thinking, I don't feel that good, or... I, I think we all, well, I don't know if we all have that, but I definitely have that, too. Yeah, whereas I'm... I'm like a dog. Like I, I get so I, I get so excited. I'm like a dog. I get so excited by the environment. And when I'm not just always looking up the road and wondering how many K's I have left, when I'm not always looking down my Garmin, I operate so much better. And that was a course where it was constantly twisting, turning, and so I was getting like just excited about being the, on the course that it was on. I was having fun racing my bike, getting super jazzed about all the people that were watching, and and uh, didn't have time to do that downward negative spiral just didn't have time to think about you just have to think about the next kilometer the next turn yeah holding a guy's wheel getting a bottle buddy yeah exactly and then all of a sudden you look at your garment and you're like oh I got 10k left in this race well tell me about the final 10k final 10k was was awesome was super cool Uh, I managed to get the break with Simon and I call Simon the consummate professional. The guy is... Simon Clark, yeah. He's, he is the consummate professional, almost to a fault sometimes. But he... Super, like, he was just exceptional as a teammate that day. Mm. Um, and especially in those final K, because I've been in those situations alone. And you start panicking because guys start attacking. It was a big break. There's about 25 riders. Uh, I you end up doing way more work than you have to. And in hindsight, you realize, how hey, you could apply it differently. But at that moment? Yeah. Yeah. And it wasn't like a group of Pellegrinos. Like, oh, it was... <laughs> like, the, yeah, so... Like, normally when you're in a break like that, maybe there's one or two guys, so you're like, okay, I can focus on this guy. But there's Rafa Micah, Dela Cruz, Balke um These are all guys who can run a top 10 GC on their own day anyway. Nimbly. Yeah. nibbly. So there's too many guys to like just focus on one person. And so what Simon did is he just started attacking. And by virtue of him attacking, it forced all those other guys, because Simon already won, so everyone knew Simon was fit. It forced all those other guys to follow. Mm. And I forgot a bit. They forgot about you to a degree. Yeah, and I could just chill, surf. Uh, and then when you're, you're able to surf and kind of sit 10, 15 wheels back, you have perspective. And I was just sitting back there watching, and I could see who was not looking good, who was looking good. And it made a world of a difference going into the final climb mm-hmm. because then I was like, okay, I know this guy's not going to be as sharp. This guy just made an effort in order to to bridge across, and then I was able to just... Stay, follow the wheels. Yeah, follow yeah. the wheels. Save energy and be like, be a killer. And then when we got in the okay, final, yeah, final, climb. final climb. We went up, and it was. A, it's a climb that was tailor, tailor made for me. Okay. What, what is it? I can't remember the exact percentage. How long was uh, it? What was the climb? I couldn't tell you the details it, either. It was it like six k I mean, yeah, about six k. But, but I operate really well on, on climbs that are inconsistent, like so. Not a consistent. Unless it's super consistently super steep, but like where I can kind of effort recovery, effort recovery, effort recovery. I think it's uh, how I train and also the style of rider I am, which is more of an Ardennes classics guy, where it's you know hard effort, sub steep climbs. And this one just pitched, and then when recovery pitched, and when it pitched, like I mean, it pitched at like
0: 20%, didn't it? For a while, yeah, like between
1: 10 and 20% nothing
0: the pitches weren't below 10 percent
1: yeah and then I, I just felt i i, I had great legs so i i tried some digs and managed to really the only person who was responding well was dylan Toons, and so then i just knew i had to focus on him for the rest of the climb because rafa michael was good but he was kind of going back a bit and not responding as fast Del Cruz was really not responding to the kicks he was just keeping his own pace and uh, with about one and a half K to go. Del Cruz attacked, but he's not a punchy guy. So I was able to just slot in right behind him. And he just held the pace, Dylan Toons got dropped and that's when I knew I could win this thing. And I've been, there've been Senores so many instances. Proxima estacion, Pirineus. Por favor, no olviden sus objetos personales. Gracias. vieches, Rupera Yeida Pirineus do not personals. Gracias. Ladies and gentlemen, we are about to arrive in Lleida Pirineus. Please do not forget your personal belongings. Thank you. Yeah, we're back. So there have been so many moments. There, I've had a lot of seconds now. In in my since I started with the team, too many seconds. Uh, second Liège, second at uh, Milan Torino. Uh, uh in duran there's several and i just haven't really closed the deal uh even the zero this year and in those moments i was the dog that caught the squirrel like i was feeling really good i knew i could win but i just didn't know like i I just dropped the ball i i I, I cracked under under the the, like in those final moments did i didn't execute well or did something wrong made a mistake. And then ultimate result in me coming second. It's a big difference between first and second. Like I know that
0: sounds really simple, but like psychologically there's a big difference. Like it's like a big hurdle. Like you can Hugely.
1: you can make mistakes, you can still ride strong and you can get second, but to win uh, it's just Especially when I first came into because second was still a win for me yeah that's the thing that's the mentality like it's uh, a change like you said like you're like ah you know I've never been in this position before you know a podium's still good and it hurts just a bit less to go after that yeah and you still get a result and people still celebrate you for the second totally and the other thing too is this the level of the world tour is so high and it's a win at this level is so much harder because you're, win- you're trying to win against winners. Mm. I found winning in the domestic scene, um, so many guys were doing what I would do when I got to the world tour. It would be seconds good enough. Top five. Top, Top five. Yeah. And they'll, then you, they'll, they'll contempt already when they're in that position. Yeah, so you've won if you've, if you've transferred your mind to thinking, I can win at the domestic scene. Yeah, but that's what you announced making that transition here. Yeah. But the thing is, especially in this group that I was in, I had to win against winners that had won at that level mm. and mentally those guys are ninjas like they're far more stable f- they don't make as many mistakes because they they when they smell blood they go after it yeah and uh, so take us back to where you were you were, let's say now ak to K2GO go, go. Um, Cruz was riding riding hard and dropped everybody but then it, we had one of those respites like one of those uh uh, flat sections on the on the climb and he elbowed me through and I just thought uh, no I'm not going to go through because I, I can beat this guy if it go- comes down to a sprint and that's when Toons and Rafa Micah came back on us and we were four and the road narrowed and the fans were just going insane yeah. the Basque Country fans as I said earlier crazy they started crowding the road it was foggy so you couldn't see what was next I wasn't sure how far I had left to go and uh, then Rafa Micah attacked, and I fought, I was able to squeeze between a fan and uh, Del Cruz and get on his wheel, and then Dylan Toons hit hard, uh, and we were at that point maybe 600 meters to go, and he got maybe even 700, 650, and he got a gap on me, but I knew that if I brought him back and just it it would be a huge effort but if I caught him and just came over the top of him it would destroy him because I've done that before yeah. where I've done the full gas effort and thought okay if I drop everybody now it's smooth sailing but if a guy comes back on me that's it's it my bluff's, my, of, yeah. my bluff's been called Yeah. so I like doubled down I, bl- I, I, I did the double bluff and just came over the top of him as hard as I could at that time though because there were so many fans and because there was so much fog I couldn't see how far I'd left. And I just assumed because tunes went so hard, we only had maybe 200 meters left. <laughs> and this is at about, what, 20, 18% or something? Yeah. It was yeah. super steep. Super though. steep. I came over top, dropped him, was like, fuck yes. I'm going to win this thing. You're I'm waiting for the finish line. Where is it? Yeah. How am I going to sell it? <laughs> Celebrate. <laughs> <laughs> and then I look up and see a sign, 500 meters. <laughs> and think oh my god oh my god so I sat back down and tried to just keep pace and then Juan Ma first came on the radio and said he was so excited and he said 20 more seconds 20 more seconds I, I didn't believe but I wanted to believe yeah. so I, I counted in my head I literally went 20 19 18 counted all the way down to 1 looked up and I couldn't even see the 300 meters to the sign to go. I was like... And I, I was hurting so bad. And I kept on looking back. And I couldn't really see tunes, so I thought, okay, I just got to keep pace. And then I started feeling him. I started looking back again and saw, saw him coming up a bit. And that's when Wama came on, on the radio and just said, do it for your family. Yeah. That's when I could hear it in the radio, too. Like, yeah. Do it for your family, Mike. You're living the dream. Do it for your family. And, um, I, I mean, I've, I've told you this already, I've said this in interviews, but, uh, last, uh, it was actually two and a half months ago, my, my wife and I, when well, my, my wife was 37 weeks pregnant and our, our son passed away and it, it was really, uh, really tough for me, uh, tough for my, my wife also, um. It I I've never really had a major loss in my life, and when I'd heard about stillbirths in, in the past, I didn't really feel like I didn't understand them. I didn't understand how, how uh, I I didn't think that someone would be would deal like that with yeah, that, 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 that as affected much. By. Yeah, but when it happened to us, it was it was as if anybody like even well I I loved him mm. and. Um, yeah and and even though i didn't know him i I talked i talked to ellie's belly every every day and just he would have known you yeah and and ellie had this amazing attachment with him too she knew he was a boy before the doctors did uh she knew something was wrong and felt something off before the doctors did and yeah we felt like we had this amazing relationship with him and he and he died and uh Ellie gave birth and yeah, you know, 37 weeks She was a full he was a full fully formed baby dude baby. shit and we held him and yeah it was we we, we had uh, we, we we cremated him spread, spread him in this beautiful place in the Gatineau Park which is a park close to where I live uh, in a spot where a lot of people go by cross country skiing or mountain biking and hiking and uh, yeah like just we love them and we still do I, th- I think about them every day uh, but uh, yeah so said, when I said that puts the weight on this comment now when do it Juanma, for your yeah. do it for your family
0: uh, those thoughts in a microsecond go through your head and you're like
1: yeah dude I held on you're like, like gear down I don't know if I would have been able to hold on for that last three years and, and like, that's that's for me
0: I didn't know the extent of that story you just said now, but I've got my own stories too. And that comment, it rattled right through my body. As I was riding up, I was just like, I wanted to attack. Because <laughs> I wanted to do it. For, and that's something that makes me lift another level. There's not many things, but my family,
1: and not saying I have that situation, but we've all got our own little little things for me actually it was one is one thing i was not as empathetic before this and i didn't understand grief as much before um and it did change that for me like i i realized now that yeah we do like so many people do have those little things hmm. um yeah and it was a powerful powerful thing that wama said I uh, had to use it sparingly yeah, it's not like he's used this every day. Yeah. The, it's not like Mike getting the break. Do it for your family, you know. Like yeah. it was, it was time. It was, and he used it only in that last moment. There was plenty of times up that climb he could have called it. Yeah, he said forty k into the stage when he he figured I was in the break. He's like, you know what? He told this to Louise. I have the line. I'm gonna use it. Crazy. That's that's how it show, also shows how great of a director he is. But also, too, Juanma has been my director, personal director, since I joined the team. And that's the thing. You got that personal connection. It couldn't have come from anyone else. No. We, we talk on a regular basis, maybe every once every, at least twice a month, all over the phone, um, just checking up on how we're doing. But then we talked a lot more after Hunter passed away. Hunter was the name of my son. Um, after Hunter passed away, we talked even more. Uh, and Juanma is a guy, too, who's also... A really experienced cyclist, but a guy who's had to overcome a lot of obstacles as well, and he's he's very empathetic in that sense. He had he had it, he didn't have it easy as a rider, uh, didn't have it easy as a kid, and so it even gave gave it more weight too, just because mm. he's been through hard times.
0: Came from a place of care,
1: yeah, trust, yeah, and Toons was coming back on me, but when I heard that he wasn't,
0: see if anyone I'm going to put up on the website the final K and a half and then when you know this and you know what's going through the radio you see these moments you see Mike when he attacks and when he realises holy fuck 500 to go and then you see him kick again and then you see must be with about 300 like he said to go the final push yeah and yeah. you see like he's already used the reserves three or four times and then suddenly it's like oh no I've got this secret little bit of reserve
1: here yeah. It's insane. I've, n- I've never, and so I finished, and I've never, I, I don't have many wins in my career, but I have some. And I've never finished a race winning feeling that terrible. Like, I couldn't do a hands off the bar celebration, I had to only do one hand. And then instead of being like, I did it, I, I finished and just collapsed on the bike. And I, everything hurt so bad. Like, I couldn't express how happy I was. I couldn't, like... I, I just hurt. I hurt... So, I wasn't even happy at that moment. I Not was Not even just,
0: as hard as when you pushed, like, you know, 1500?
1: No. Ah! Uh, actually, those, there were some moments in... Yeah. Where That's you, what I could imagine the only thing yeah. close Yeah, where I've, like, thrown up after a race, or... It was on that level. I've never really hit that in the bike before, uh, to that extent, and I did. Like, I, I was... I bent over the bike, and just... I spent at least... 20, 30 seconds, just trying to wrap my head around how much I hurt. Not, not thinking about I did it. And then finally, once I start like, once I, uh, I started getting over the pain, uh, then I started feeling really good. So good, so good. And I think, yeah, the best, the highlight though, and I think I talked to you about this last. I talked, I talked to the team about this last night. Was right after too. I I went into the pod, (laughs) went into the podium room, started getting changed. And Wanma called Alyssa or year, and Alyssa said Wanma wanted to talk to me. And he put the phone on, and that's when I had this. In- I I haven't experienced this flood of emotion before. I've never I've never cried after a win. Mm. I bawled. Uh, he just said, "You did it, man. You did it." And I I could I started crying so hard. All I could say was, "Thank you," and "I love you, man." It was a it was a moment I'll never forget. Yeah, it was special. It's just, yeah, like I said, one of the best points of the race, for oh, sure. sure. Yeah, that was cool.
0: Well, we have a little that little pause for a minute. Now Now we're going to mailbag. That was that was sick. Good. I'm glad I got you to tell that story. <laughs> so we've got some questions. We asked everyone to send in some questions, um, and we're going to have a go at answering them. Let's do it. All right. I've got them written down here let's scroll through a couple here we'll start with you Brendan Ford he's asked what's your favorite route
1: recycling route in the Ottawa region so this is pretty uh, this is gonna be a pretty blase answer but it's the and, and a pretty obvious one but there's a 40 K loop in just north of Ottawa, called that, that's in the Gatineau Park, which is actually where we spread Hunter's Ashes. Uh, and it's pristine pavement. No, There's one stop, there's two stop signs, maybe three, max. No stop lights, super low traffic. And it's spectacular, it's a really pretty area. We do a 40K race there every second Tuesday. Lovely riding, and when I'm there, um, people a lot of people in the area complain about how there's a lack of ro- roads or that the Rhine's not that great in Ottawa in Ottawa but I don't think they realize how lucky they are with this place relative to other places in the world there aren't this is, it's almost like a 40k just cycling only road that's right which doesn't exist in many other places in the world and would he know this I'm sure. Um, if he's from Ottawa, he's probably done it a million times and probably pretty bored of it. I guess that's the other reason why I, I like it so much is because I'm not in Ottawa that often. So every time I I go back, I'm like, oh, this is great. But it, it is a lovely place to ride. All right, great. Ben Jones,
0: what do you do the week after a Grand Tour finishes? Very appropriate question right now. Um, do you have a few days off the bike, or do you keep the legs spinning? So, well, for me. It's completely different to Mike. At the moment, I'm in, I'm like literally on cloud nine because <laughs> I've got one day left of racing. A pub crawl to organize. I've got a pub crawl to organize. Um, what else am I imagine? I'm on my way home to see the family. It's just like I've got a grand tour on my legs, second grand tour, so it's just like, it's good times, mentally and physically, it's time to relax for me. I think. Also, I don't mind to keep the legs spinning a bit because in a very easy way, even if I don't have to race, just to sort of slowly come down from literally racing every day to nothing sometimes feels like a bit of too much of an extreme change. But on Mike's
1: case, what's your situation now? I got the World Championships coming up. And this is the first time I've done a Grand Tour with the intention of coming out of it uh, fitter and focusing on something else in the past when I've done Grand Tours it's all been all in for that Grand Tour and so when I finished I've been spent physically and emotionally and the week post Grand Tour I actually get a bit of depression mm. there's a major come down like you're being celebrated every day uh, you're achieving so much achieving. even if it's just finishing a stage. you're still achieving something it's so purposeful yeah. wow. and then all of a sudden you come home you have to do your laundry <laughs> you have to <laughs> clean your dishes you have to make your bed you have to cook You have to do every everything that you haven't done, and nobody's celebrating you for it. Like effectively, at a grand tour, you you do everything, but everything's done for you except for wiping your ass. Like everything's taken care of. You get a massage; it's fantastic. Whereas, uh, you come back and you're sitting home, sitting at home, and and there's this, literally depression. Um, So, but this year, uh, I. I'm coming out of this actually quite positive uh, and not as this vault, I'm I'm looking at the world championships and I'm motivated and so tomorrow I'm going to ride and I'm going to obviously keep things pretty easy until I feel like I'm really recovered but uh, I'm going to try and not fall into that depression, try and keep things more positive. I think think you will because you've got such an important race coming and it's just like it's
0: almost like the next goal is so big and so exciting that you just keep rolling on, and it's like, yeah, it's not saying this was a training phase, but it sort of was in a
1: way. And you, you I reckon that's the way I would put it. Yeah, mentally, you know. Last year at the Volta, I, I finished seventh, but it was like the best result to date in my career, and also the team almost folded. And every night while I was hunting in the GC, which is adds up emotional, like adds emotional baggage, um, I was also trying to negotiate contracts. And so when I finished particularly that one, it was this insane come down. Mm-hmm. Like I was, I was on the couch for like three days. I just couldn't be motivated to do anything. Ellie, my wife, could do nothing right. Like Even though she was a saint doing wonderful things, I was just so ornery and cranky. Mm-hmm. It took me a while to come out of it. We're going to move through these questions. We've got so many. Um,
0: What's the next one here? Um, Which are your favourite and least favourite races and why? quickly,
1: we'll do that one. So, favourite each. What's your favourite? Arden's Classics. I'm going to say Amstel. Amstel's sick. Because it suits you? Uh, Yeah, but also because it... For the reasons I mentioned about Basque Country, super twisty turny incredibly fun to race it's not even probably the best race for me but I, I love it um, for me
0: Roubaix I think everyone knows that already um, I'd and love Roubaix if I was a classic specialist too it's so cool <laughs> it's just cool isn't it it's like, and, but I've said this you know 20 times on the podcast but it's it's just a, it's, a, it's a journey that race it's a challenge every year it throws in a different a different obstacle and every year you make it to the velodrome, you feel like you've achieved something, no matter what position you're in. Sometimes you're racing for a result, but sometimes you're just trying to get there. And that's what I love about that race. It's just such a challenge. Plus, it's
1: just, it suits me and- It's fun to talk to you guys yeah. after, after doing Rebe. It's like, there's a, it's kind of like what you, I describe. There's a major come down. It's a yeah. huge race. It's like a mini, it's like a grand tour feeling in one day. It's yep. weird. All right, least favorite. Least favorite race. I'm gonna say um, uh, I, I like racing my bike but Amer- American racing often I find to not be as fun I, I actually really enjoy going to the race I like the the fans I like the I like the hype that doesn't exist anywhere else like the announcers going crazy but uh, there's periods where you're just riding on this one road and you're not gonna take a turn for 50 60k. Yeah, yeah, for me, uh, it doesn't feel as much of a challenge, uh, and it's not as it's it's the least beautiful part of cycling. My least
0: favorite, probably least favorite race. I should have them off the cuff, but like a race, it's weird. A race like Paris Nice. I was going to say Paris Nice. Otherwise, like the thought of it, it's funny. Like when I'm in it,
1: I hate that race. Yeah. But then afterwards I'm like, oh, it's not too bad. Also you get such great war stories from yeah. these yeah, that yeah, it's the despite you hating it so much, you've got the best stories from that race. Like how you got shelled from all these bre- from all these crosswind guys or Oh you went through the most extreme conditions of the year. You yeah. Know? Like snow and
0: Alright. Um, makes for great war stories. Casey Munro, right. What advice would you give your 18-year-old self
1: about cycling? Do it. Do what? Cycling? <laughs> yeah, because I, I wasn't racing at that time. I was. I, it was not on my radar at all. I was running. Uh, at, at the time, that was the peak of my running. Like I, I was. I was flying. I, I set the uh, Canadian records in the 1500. No, in the mile and the 3K. And uh, I thought I was going to be the next best thing in. Canadian running, and was going to make the Olympics and do all these great things. And uh, cycling, the only time I, uh, the only thing I was aware of was the Tour. I'd watch the Tour every summer. But uh, now knowing what I know now, I wish I got into it earlier. It's a, it's I like it more than running. Running's a great sport, but I, I just I'm really happy with where I am. That's right. I like it. What about you? Um,
0: I'm trying to think back to when I was 18 and what I was doing. Cause you started late too. Yeah, I started when I was about sixteen. So, um, I
1: guess
0: it's a long career, and even though it's not that long compared to other careers, you just got—you just can't. I know it's easy to say, but you can't be too crazy with it in the beginning because you've got to have enough stamina to go the long run and 10 years into it now as a pro and whatever 15 years or more into it as a rider if you go too crazy in the beginning
1: you're just going to burn out yeah and that's another thing that i guess if i was giving advice to an 18 year old cyclist is it does it's not the be all end all at that time yeah you have so much time both you and i got into became pros very late i think i'm the oldest neo pro in cycling history i turned pro at 29 uh what you do in those moments sure maybe it matters a a touch but it doesn't matter as much as you think it does enjoy where you're at have fun and don't put crazy pressure on yourself because even the best guys most talented guys at that age uh, things can happen you can have a terrible crash terrible injury and you're out of it and you're not going to go pro and that's not the be all, being a pro isn't the be all and all. There's so many other great things in this world. But uh, if you're patient, you have fun, and just really enjoy what you're doing, then you're going to make it anyway. You're going to yeah. make it, and even if you don't, you're enjoying what you're doing. Good call.
0: Do riders practice the sticky bottle technique? It must take some skill to hang onto a bottle or car that is accelerating whilst you have no control over it. Well, this is probably a bit more tailored towards me, this, because Mike doesn't often have to get the sticky. I was getting the bottles, though, this year. This Yeah, you were getting bottles, but you don't necessarily need the sticky bottle, is what I'm getting at. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, I need it when I'm getting bottles, more yeah. so than you, guys. Like, eight bottles weighs me down way more. Did you, have you, how would you go when you first had to get bottles? Oh, I, was, I was pretty bad. But also, a lot of it has to do with how good the director is. Yeah. Like a good director, stable. One thing I don't like with the sticky is that
0: some directors, when you're getting like eight bottles, they think they need to give you a sticky every bottle. Yeah. And by sticky, what I mean is you grab the bottle and, the, and then just as you're grabbing the bottle, the director and the car will accelerate so when you you get pulled along a bit. But actually, if you're trying to get eight bottles and he wants to pull you along every single bottle, it takes ages. Yeah. I don't mind getting like initial sticky. Get yeah. you up to speed, then exactly. give me like about three, four bottles. Bang, bang, bang. One more sticky, up to speed again. Yeah. Bang, bang. And then one more fun, finale. Yeah, here, the real sticky bottle. If you, you
1: do it right, it's like uh, guys complain about how hard it is getting bottles. If you do it right, often it's not. It's actually like it's an opportunity to sa- to save energy. Yeah. In some instances. If you do it at the right time. If you do it at the right time. There's a big disclaimer on that. Yeah, exactly. All right. What else do we got here?
0: If you could choose type of rider to be not just naturally what you are would you be a sprinter,
1: a climber or a classics man? Um I used to think a bit of a classics man, cobblestone classics. Yeah, cuz you get to do Roubaix. Like it's a race that I'd love to do. But I'll probably never be put in and even if I was I'd be destroyed by those cobbles I've ridden cobbles in the past and I'm not good at them I bounce around like crazy but then I think about it and a grand tour or most of the races that we do don't take nearly as much of a toll on me as a classics guy or a sprinter like because I'm so much lighter I burn far fewer KJs uh, for so far fewer calories and I'm far more fresh I'm, happy, I'm happier in the races I'm not as miserable sometimes I piss guys off because I'm chatting and they're like fuck off woods Like I'm, I'm suffering right now Like I'll be chatting in the gruppetto and the guys will be actually going full gas understandably so because they weigh 10 kilos more than me and I have a bit of difficulty relating to them in that situation so I actually quite like being a climber that's true like I've thought about that and I think
0: despite what you might think you're pretty happy with what you are because I'm happy as a classics fan and if I wasn't I probably wouldn't be still riding do you know what I mean?
1: yeah why would you be doing the why would you be doing what you're doing if, if you're, you're not, not happy it? Yeah. yeah so I'm exactly happy with what I am yeah same um,
0: next question Troy Collette, best and worst roommate. This is a good question coming out of the Grand Tour after spending a month yeah. with someone.
1: Yeah. I'm going
0: to say maybe we we have, a, we have a room together. Yeah, maybe we won't actually say who people are, but let's just
1: describe what the best and worst roommate are. Best, so far, downtown Nate Brown. But why? Downtown is just super chill, down for whatever. If you want to go to bed at 10, he's going to bed at 10. If you want to go to bed at 12, he's going to bed at 12. So he lets you rule the roost. Yeah, but then, like, it's it's also... It's not it's not bestowed... Like, there's responsibilities not bestowed upon you. Like, you don't have to... You don't even have to make the decision. You know, like, he'll... He's just on your level at all times. Organized, but not, not like, over-the-top organized. Just, he's great. Good amount.
0: I reckon, yeah, I agree, like... I roomed with Tom Van Asbrook here and him and I roomed at the Giro together too and um, I put the request forward to room with him because he's actually similar to what you said is he's up for anything it's like, walk in the room Tom, bed in 30 minutes he's like, sounds good Yeah. and then I'd be like, set the alarm mate, up at 8.30, he's like, sounds good
1: yeah, it's great but also, also down to talk or yeah. not talk
0: exactly I don't want someone who won't talk but also don't want someone who won't just chew your ear off
1: yeah because you're like you need your alone time a good example of that was Joe Dombrowski I actually quite enjoyed a room with Joe Dombrowski just because he's such a great conversationalist but then there's some like you there's some points where it's it's 11.30 at night and you're still chatting and you're like oh man the sleepover's gotta end like yeah. I gotta race tomorrow the sleepover <laughs> <laughs> alright that's great um what else have we got here
0: we didn't answer worst well that was sort of worse Joe D'Ambrosi is not the worst no I, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna actually say the people I, I, I'll I
1: say right. it Alberto Bettiol. oh and yeah, why love the guy hilarious so funny but so Italian and he will wait he'll answer his phone at 3 in the morning like, phone will ring, doesn't turn it off, answers the phone, also f- would fight with the a- air conditioning. I'm a fan of air conditioning, a lot of Italians are I'd turn it on, he'd turn it off. I'd turn it on, he'd turn it off. And we wouldn't even address the issue. We'd just passive-aggressively turn it on and turn it off when we were in Australia. It was like 35 degrees out, 40 degrees out, and he'd be turning off the air conditioning. It cracked me.
0: <laughs> That's true. Yeah, look, my I'll, I'll say my re- worst roommate probably would have been... Um,
1: Señores viajeros, Wait a próxima estación Cam de Tarragona. Por favor, no olviden sus objetos personales. Gracias. Señores viajeros, próxima estación Cam de Tarragona. Si os plau, no olvidin arsèus objectes personals. Gracias. Ladies and gentlemen, we are about to arrive in Cam de Tarragona. Please do not forget yeah, your personal belongings. Assignment. Thank you.
0: Probably Thomas Vickers he's Lithuanian and he was a roommate back in Orica and he was just full gas on the phone techno music going techno
1: music's a big cracker and like blue lights flashing it was just like dude calm down yeah looking like phone straight up in the eyes yeah just way too hyperactive yeah
0: alright oh One of my favorite podcasts to listen to, the Slow Ride Pod. They've sent a question in, and they're asking about your mega VO2 max. You know, (laughs) and they refer to you as Mr. VO2. Why? Do you have a big VO2 max?
1: My VO2 max has actually never been tested. (laughs) Where's this story coming from, then? I guess words got. I mean, obviously, I probably have a high VO2 max. My coach, based off of testing assumes is probably close to the 90s if not above which is what well, well, give some people perspective what I think sign- the world record is like 96 Is what was Lance I don't know high 80s maybe yeah right but view 2 Max is also not the ultimate determinant of being a great cyclist efficiency is important mental fortitude all these kind of things but I think it's because I'm not the greatest I, I'm not the greatest bike handler I've since become much better for sure but for the longest time, I just had to rely on my lungs, <laughs> and I think they just, like. Also, Alex Howes, for a long time called me the fittest man in the, the fittest man in the, on earth, <laughs> and so I think that's maybe that's where it came from. But I like it. I love it. I'll, I'll embrace it. I'm proud of it.
0: I believe this is one of your mates, Luke. He's written, "Have you ever run a marathon? Because only real run only because all real runners have." Have you run a marathon?
1: So this no. And this is the problem with what I am right now. Uh, when I was a runner first of all, I, and my career was falling apart particularly, I worked at a running shoe store, and people would ask me, "Have you done a marathon?" and I'd say no and in their eyes I wasn't a runner like the, how can I take advice off of you yeah despite the fact I'd won national titles as a junior got a full scholarship in running ran sub four minutes for the mile in their eyes like one guy once asked me have you ran a marathon I said no and the guy's like well I've broken four hours for the <laughs> and now as a cyclist I haven't done the tour yeah so my, my whole life when I'm trying to when I'm asked what I do I'm trying to validate what I am, which is like if someone asks, So what do you do? And I say, Oh, I'm a pro cyclist. Oh, have you done the tour? And I have to be like, Well, you know. I've won a stage in the world, I've 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 done done like two Giro Super Wilders. But to them, I'm not a cyclist. I'm not a pro cyclist because I've done the tour. And to those same people, I'm not a runner because I haven't done the marathon. Um, So we've got a couple quickies.
0: Kate, any pre race or race superstitions or rituals? How about you? I did used to... Message my wife... Every time I started before the stage... Because I was like... First of all, it's was just like... Yeah, I'm off to the start... And... You know... Then it became a habit... And a couple of times I was like... Fuck... I had a good race so... If I forgot to message her... I sort of felt like something bad was going to happen... But then... I missed it a couple of times and I had good races.
1: And then I was like, well, maybe I shouldn't do it all the time. Maybe I should do it just sporadically. That's, like, that yeah. that's the athlete. Like, you read into everything. Oh. Even the message to your wife, did that affect my performance? Oh, it's ridiculous. So now I've just tried to naturally do it. If I remember, I'll do it. And if not, just let it go. Yeah. The, the message to the wife is essential, though. Yeah. It's like, hey, sweetie, I love you. What about you? Uh, I'm not superstitious but I do have one thing and I always I take off my wedding ring before every race just because of this thing called degloving which apparently if you crash you can lose a finger if you have a ring on and so I take it off I give it a kiss say love you Ellie love you Hunter now 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 it's love you Hunter as well put it on put it in my bag that's it nice but the funny actually funny story about that is I did that all the time and then one time I put the ring in this was last year and couldn't find it for the life of me afterwards and I was like oh crap I lost my wedding ring six months later and I on the I was, this was at the Giro on the bus I, I was like panicking I was like guys has anyone seen my wedding ring no one could find it six months later in China hugh carthy goes into his bag and he's like hey who put a wedding ring in my bag six months later yeah yeah yeah. in china because i have this hidden compartment we all have the same bags yeah i have this hidden compartment that i'd put it in and i guess i just went to his seat instead of mine because your mind's on somewhere something else all the time right you're not really focused and he the fact that you're on the next race with him like he could have just been on another race and found it and just no i wasn't racing with him oh he messaged it yeah, and then he, but he found it, and then all the guys started calling him Smeagol because he was hiding in the ring. <laughs> <laughs> the precious. My precious, yeah. yeah,
0: yeah. Um, are you tougher mentally or physically?
1: Uh, that's a hard one, actually. I think I'm tougher mentally when I'm tougher physically. So the fitter I am, the tougher mentally I am. They kind of go hand in hand. I'm not as mentally strong that's a really good answer yeah. I'm not as mentally strong when I'm not fit yeah me too I'm just thinking
0: I was about to say physically but then I'm like sometimes I can do some crazy things
1: mentally but then again mentally I can be soft yeah well a perfect example was the win on stage 17 I was one of the best I've ever been mentally just the self talk I was doing telling myself you're going to win this being positive uh Suffering and enduring pain. Uh, yeah, I was a Jedi. But then uh, earlier this year, I did Volta Catalunya and I came apart on a 20k climb when there were still like 100 guys left in the group just because I was physically not good. I, I, I guarantee you, I probably could have made it over that climb, but just mentally, I fell apart because physically I wasn't good. Mm. They go hand in hand. I reckon that's a good answer.
0: All right. Uh, what else we got here? Do you prefer chasing or being chased,
1: oh. chasing? I'd say. Yeah, me. yeah. If you're chasing, if you you know you have a if, if you know like chasing, if you know you there's a chance mm. for sure. I'd rather be the hunter than the hunted. There's nothing worse than being in front and feeling like you're that you're having that quicksand type dream where you're just. You know, slowly sink in. Oh, it's an awful feeling. But when you got someone in the sights, it's, it's far more motivating, I find.
0: Um, I've got a big question here. Let me just read through it. Uh, do cyclists have a special relationship to territory? How does this affect their sense of identity? I think so. More than most other pro athletes, cyclists seem to often identify as Flemish, Basque, Breton, Welsh, Quebec, rather than Belgian, Spanish, French, British, Canadian, etc. Is there something about exploring one's region during training rides and races that makes you develop a deeper understanding and appreciation of your region? As you live, and train in Girona. Have you noticed the influence of Catalan history and the identity of your local cycling scene?
1: It's
0: a big old question, that one. Well, you go for it. Um, I think home is always home and... One thing I I can relate to that is I definitely feel a lot more relation to when I race on roads that I train on. For sure. So, like, that feels like my territory then, exactly at that point. But do I then go, like, got a Catalonian feel? For instance, if I did tour of Catalonia, no. It'd just be like, these are my roads because I've got a connection to those roads. But I'm still at heart, like an Aussie, you know, like there's something, even though we never race on the Australian roads, there's something about where you've been born and people ask me this question a lot, like will I ever live in Europe after my career and I won't because I just miss being around my own people and that's, I'm sort of not answering the question exactly, but no 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 I think no. you are yeah you no, know, no, know what no, no, I mean like yeah. I would find it difficult to relate to being something else just by living in that region and not being actually a Catalonian you know
1: yeah. born so I completely like uh, same page I find if you race and so if you train in the area and then when you race it is, it is an advantage though being in that area knowing the roads but I like being in Catalonia I, I love training there but I'm not I don't feel like I'm a Catalan no However, it has put me more in touch with the region I am from in Canada. Like uh, I have a much deeper passion for uh, northern, like Canadian Shield, uh, uh, just that kind of type of geography. Um, I spent when I was a runner, I didn't spend as much time outside as I do on the bike, and it's just giving me a greater appreciation of that region, that that space, and I'm more passionate about it. Want to protect it more, and uh, happier when I'm there. Yeah
0: oh great question for you pineapple on a pizza yes or no and also what are your favorite beers
1: pineapple on a pizza is a very divisive question I just say straight-up no I know and I brought it up on the bus a few weeks back and just got shot down like crazy But apparently Hawaiian pizza is a Canadian invention and I love it Favorite favorite beer favorite beer are you a beer man not a huge beer guy, but I do I do enjoy good beer. Uh, there's one beer that's brewed pretty close to where I live called Kichisibi. Uh Easy drinking, uh, nice taste, do some cool uh, seasonal brews as well. The uh, big problem for me is I don't drink as much. I, I hardly drink in the season, and it's gotten to the point now where it, when I do, it really f- impacts my sleep, it impacts my stomach because I just don't do it that often that I don't enjoy it as much as I used to uh, when I was working full time I drank all the time and I, I loved beer uh, and I was more adapted to it so I felt good when I had it mm. whereas I don't, I don't feel as great when I have it now it wrecks my stomach because I literally just don't drink when I'm in Spain my favourite beers would have to be Orval Belgian beer and then
0: actually a local beer from um, Girona it's called Soma S O M A, and they make a beautiful IPA. Is that they have a restaurant too, right? Or is that nah? It's just a tiny little micro brewery just outside, like as if you're gonna ride out to Selra, yeah, yeah, yeah. out that way, just on the left there. Really, really lovely beer. Looking forward to having one today, actually. All right, a couple more questions here because we've got so many, and we've been on the pod for ages now.
1: Um, oh, this is a good one.
0: This is maybe for me. How's the work-life balance being a dad with riding a Grand Tour? Um, I have to admit, it was very hard, this second Grand Tour. Um, the Giro, my wife was back in Australia with Little Man and just sort of got on with things. I knew they weren't that close and you know I was going to see him at the end and I just didn't think about it too much, but... This one, they were just, felt like they were just around the corner, but I couldn't see them. Um, I've been hanging out a lot to try and get back, it's a lot of FaceTime, and as in terms of FaceTime on the phone, I mean, and to be honest, I'm done with that, <laughs> looking forward to actual FaceTime. You want the touch? Yeah. You want so that
1: intimate, those intimate moments? It
0: was difficult this grandy. Um, as I can interact with him a lot more now, Marlo, my son, things got a lot harder. You know, he knows that I'm not
1: there. He can ask where I am. and I find family can be both uh, a, like a blessing and a curse in that sense. Like it, You want, you uh, they inspire you, they drive you, but at the same time, it makes it harder where you are. Yeah, that you wish you weren't there because you want to be with them it's like the conundrum it's like do I want to get videos of Marlow at
0: home because I like seeing them but then it makes me miss him more yeah do you know what I mean? yeah alright what's your favourite thing about the season and your favourite thing about the off season
1: uh, for me it's hanging with the boys in the season in the season it's a blast yeah like I actually I love team sports I love hanging on the bus I love shooting the shit like it feels like I'm at camp especially at a grand tour I really enjoy just chewing the fat after a stage with the guys one of my favorite things especially when we don't have the phones like there was one day when we were in Indora we didn't have phones and we were all just chatting it was great I loved it I hate that now how quick we just go to our phone and just everyone gets in and looking at buddy, all that crap yeah but also at the dinner table too. That kind of sounds great. Off season, off season. Uh, so the one we talked about being away from our family a lot, and it's uh, being away from my wife, being away from my my family back home in Canada, my friends back home in Canada. Uh, I don't enjoy in season. But one of the luxuries of our sport is that we have crazy amount of time off like it's not it doesn't it's not super long but who else in the world works a job where you have three months where you're not doing anything mm-hmm. so those two three months where I'm not uh, racing it's full on with Ellie my wife and we have these amazingly intimate moments and do some makes thing. it harder coming back to the season oh. again because it's so long oh it does you have to get your routine I, you kind of jeed up a bit too but um, the intensity of your relationships are phenomenal in the off season. My favorite part of the season,
0: um, I want to. It's stereotypical. The spring, like I love that spring period. Like, like you said, you've come off the off season. You've had a big preparation, and it's like everything's honing for April, and it's like. Possibilities in the air. Yeah, you've worked so hard for it, and it's it's really... It's a great part of the season, but it's fecal. You know, it can be also
1: devastating. That was similar... I was at the Olympics. Yeah. And it's the same thing. You go into the, the pre-games, you're sitting there in the village, and it's tangible. You can feel the anticipate. Everyone has potential of doing something. Nothing's... No one's failed yet. It's just... Like, you. same with in the spring. You just feel... Uh, hope and then I guess
0: the favorite part of the off season is yeah going home back to Oz hanging out with my family drinking a few good wines and just that like you said sort of a carefree feel you've got the whole season in legs or you've got the whole season in front of you it's just this nice little bliss period and it goes on for a few months it's great yeah I will run through a couple more questions and then we're probably done well, if Frigo doesn't win the Vuelta, who do you think will win? I reckon Yates, he's got a good chance.
1: <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's not a bad pick, actually. You know, he's looking pretty good. Um,
0: funny story from the Peloton. You got one? Funny? Wasn't laughing much, this Vuelta. Nah. Um... Come back to it. What what, uh, what? else we got here? Stouts or IPAs, I'd say they're beers. I would say IPA for me.
1: Yeah, I'm gonna go IPA as well just because. Stout? It's more an occasion. Like, you know, like IPA, you can drink it almost any time of the year. Stout, yeah. Okay, I've got I've got another one
0: here.
1: Have you ever lo- got lost on the
0: way to the sign-in start? It gets so busy with the fans, cars, buses, etc. And no two starts are the same on a Grand Tour at least. Well, yes. Sam, I have. I was actually talking to you about this just the other day in the Giro this year. We all sort of roll out of the bus, and you you time it, like sign on, you've got to have sign in 10 minutes before the start. And you have a routine. Yeah, and then you try and stay in the bus as long as possible, and then you roll up. So, this one particular day, I heard it was a bit of distance to the start. I was like, oh, I think it's like about two or three K, which is not normal. So, I left a little early, like maybe 20 minutes before. I start riding after about 2 or 3k I'm like "Where are ages still from the start and it was uphill so I had the radio in I just radioed back to the boys I like boys get you gotta go, go now you gotta go now and it was like a 25 minute ride to the start and I was hauling ass there in the end with Hugh actually
1: and um, yeah I've never really got lost but that was that was a close call it, effect- it affects me there are guys on the team Rigo and Pierre for example that it doesn't bother them they just don't sign in some days yeah and they, only, they got threatened by the commissaire this, this race because they hadn't signed in twice. They were, they were told, next time you do it, you're getting kicked out. And then Rigo had the balls. No, no Rigo. Pierre had the balls after not signing in twice and being lectured by the commissaire. He signed in that day, but then started 100 meters in front of the start line, which is also illegal. But like these guys are old pros and I guess they've just dealt with that. But you're an old pro and you still get stressed. I I get stressed. Maybe it's just because I like to please people. I yeah, know you just I think maybe it was just like you know what throw me out throw me out especially also when you're going to the start line the worst for me is um, journalists I, I don't mind journalists at all. I like talking to journalists I think like it's really great to get exposure on who you are and it's good for the sport. but I'll run into one and they'll be like hey can we do a quick interview and because I'm liberal with my time and liberal with the answering questions I, I'll lose track of time and all of a sudden I'll finish the interview and then look at my clock and I'm I'm not I'm not there like I, I maybe I need to be in the break today and I'm not at the front to start Yeah, and I get so panicky and I'm not cool like I'm not composed I, I'll do stuff that's stupid in order to get to the front because of those things and I don't like having to and do that and you're like why did I do that yeah why did I take that why did I answer those questions well
0: look this has been a great pod um really uh, helped pass the trip too here on the train made the made the trip nice and easy it was great really great um Thanks for sitting here with me, life in the Peloton. Um, we're going into this next phase. I won't try and drag you out for too many beers this week, but it'd be good to catch
1: up post tour. I like that plan, man. Thanks for, uh, thanks for the great, Palta, and thanks for being a good friend. Great. Cheers, guys.